Let's pray. God, we invite you to interrupt us so that we would not miss you today. And so I pray that every single person, Lord, might hear you and your voice and your love that you have for us in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. And throughout history, there have been these quotes that sort of capture a moment in time and have sort of lived on where I think most of us would probably be able to finish some of these quotes. So I have a few for them today. If we go back to near the beginning of our country, Patrick Henry, give me liberty or... Give me death. Yes, you remember that one. Um, go a few generations later to Abraham Lincoln and the Gettysburg Address, and one of the more popular ones. Some of you might have memorized this when you were in school. Four score and. There you go. There you go. You're in good shape. Now we'll get more into the present. I think one of the greatest speeches that was ever given by Dr. Martin Luther King. I love this. I have a. Dream. Boy, and then laid out such a beautiful picture of what America could be like. And then um, we've got this one from Ronald Reagan. I still remember this and where he's standing in Germany. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Man, there are those moments in time where those quotes just sort of capture a, a moment where you can almost sort of feel what it was like in that moment and in that culture and in that time. And I, I would argue that there are 12 words that I think transcend any of those quotes um, that were there that just radically transformed the world. And it was read for us just a moment ago. These are the words of the Magi, these 12 words. Where is the one? who was born king of the Jews. And those are the words that rocked the world at that time, and I would argue they would still rock the world today. Where is the one who is born king of the Jews? Now, the Magi are the one who uh, spoke those words. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of Magi. You probably think of the Christmas story or, or maybe sort of an image uh, like this with you know, the riding on the camels and going through the desert following a star. We all have in mind, maybe you've got your own little nativity at home and then you bring in the wise men a little later in the story as you tell that story. And we think about that all the time and we use phrases uh, like wise men. Now, Wiseman didn't come along until the 6th century. That's when that tradition started referring to the Magi as Wiseman. Like, oh, wait a minute, weren't they kings? Because don't we have songs about these three kings and, and, and doing that? Well, yeah, that was 8th century that that tradition started that they were kings, but they really were Magi and most likely priests who studied astrology. And so they're following this star and they come from a long distance off and they land in Jerusalem. And they're looking for this king, and so they go to King Herod, and they ask him the question, where is the one that is to be born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And we find out why this is such a big deal in verse 3 of our text. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Now, if you don't know anything about King Herod, he was a pretty ruthless individual. He would kill uh, anybody who got in his way. Any threat to his kingdom and his rule, uh, he would eliminate, including his own children. And so he was not known for being a really nice guy, but during this period when anybody came and now they hear the words that there's a king that's been born, you know why King Herod was disturbed. 
No, no, this is my rule right here. I rule this territory. This is mine. Nobody's going to take it from me. So what do you mean, king of the Jews? And all of Jerusalem was worried too. Now, why are they worried? Oh, no, we know what's going to happen. When King Herod gets worried, uh, people die. That's what happens when King Herod worries. And, and we've had this time. It's been, granted, he's an evil person, and we never know if we're going to get thrown in prison or tortured or killed. But at least for the most part, we know what to expect. We know what's going to happen. We, we are allowed. We have our temple. King Herod helped us rebuild our temple. We have that. We're able to do our little priestly things and offer sacrifices to God. We can have sort of our independence even underneath the Roman rule, and so we've learned to live with this. So please, please, Magi, don't rock the boat. Just tell them you were mistaken. It must be from another country somewhere. You're not talking about a king right here for the Jews. Uh, just please go on the way. And this is why everybody's upset with these words of the Magi. And they were threatened by it. King Herod was threatened by it. The people living in that day were threatened by it because it, it caused everything to get turned upside down down. So let me ask you a simple question today. How am I threatened by Jesus? What kind of threat does Jesus bring to me and my life? Because I think any point, any one of us has something where we're threatened by God. And I, over the years, I, I love talking to people who either are just starting to follow Jesus and they've got all kinds of questions. Those are fun people to talk to. But I also like talking to people that have walked away from the faith for whatever reason. And then I've also been able to talk to some people that have never believed and followed Jesus at all. And I love asking them the question, just tell me why. Why, why have you chosen not to follow Jesus? Or, or what's keeping you from following Jesus? And, and somewhere along the line, they, they start talking about, well, I'm just not sure following Jesus is the right thing for me. Well, why isn't it the right thing for you? And if you push long enough, you find something along the lines of, it just doesn't seem fun. Like, I found a lot of, they just don't seem to enjoy life at all. Like, I have a lot more fun doing my own thing, and, and so I'm not sure I really want to follow Jesus. I'm like, okay, what's behind that of not wanting to have fun? And really, what's behind it, if they're honest, is I like my freedom. I like doing what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And I don't like people telling me what I need to do. And I find it very interesting when we think about freedom, because we think freedom is just doing whatever I want, um, regardless of anything else. It's just, I do what I want. I'm my own God. And this is the natural inclination of our heart, by the way, if you haven't figured this one out yet. This is the natural trajectory of our life, to make my world all about me. And this is what I want to do. I want to make it all about me, and I'm going to follow what I want and my desires and my heart, and I don't really care about anybody else. And so this was true um, back in the Old Testament days as well, before Jesus. And I've been reading through the Bible this year, and a couple of months ago, I was in the book of Jeremiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament. And the people there at that point were like, we just want to do what we want to do. We don't really want to follow you, God. We want to follow whatever we feel like following. We want to worship you, we'll worship you. We want to worship other gods, we'll worship other gods. And, and I came across this verse in Jeremiah, which I was fascinated by. It says, now I proclaim freedom for you, declares the Lord. You want, quote unquote, freedom? Let me tell you what freedom is. I'm going to give you freedom, freedom to fall by the sword, plague, and famine. You want to follow the trajectory of your life, make it all about you, and just leave me? That's fine. 
You've got sword coming, you've got plague coming, you've got famine coming. And I'm gonna make you abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth. You think that's freedom? This is where you're heading. And what I love about this is God knows that about us. God knows this is the trajectory, and this is why God chose to come into the world. God says, I know you're selfish by nature. I know you're gonna wanna worship yourself and make everything about you. And you're gonna be lost for eternity. And I'm gonna enter into the world. And so God interrupts the world. And he comes in a little town of Bethlehem in a baby, lying down in a manger to enter into the world so that we might be set free, so that we would be forgiven, so that we might have hope, so that we might have life. And so God calls us and he interrupts us in our lives, in the direction of our life to make it all about me. And God says, no, come and follow me. I'll show you what freedom truly is. And so a lot of times as I get to know people a little bit more and they tell me why they've not wanted to follow Jesus, the number one one usually comes around around money. Like I, I've heard before that Christians give and I, I like having my money. I like, I've earned my money. I've got plans for my money. I'm saving my money. I, I want it all about me and I want to do what I want to do with my money. I don't want to give. And I've heard some Christians do this crazy thing of giving 10% of what they make away to the kingdom of God. I'm not interested in that. And I said, interesting, so tell me more about your money. And they'll usually describe, well, I I don't have enough of it yet, that's why I'm saving more of it and I wanna do some more things with my money. What are you doing with your money? Well, I'm buying this, I wanna buy another vacation home, I wanna buy a new car, I wanna do this and this with my money. I said, ah, it's really interesting because it sounds more like money has you than you using money. It sounds like money is using you because you're all your, your whole life is revolved around worrying about money. You're worried about it. You look at the stock market every day. You're wondering how much is in your retirement. You wonder when you can retire. You wonder if you're going to be able to take this vacation and buy these kind of things. It's like you worry about it all the time. So there's a much better perspective, I think, to, to live following Jesus where everything is a gift from him and I'm just returning to God what he's given to me. And so I, I'm, I'm freed from having to worship money. I don't have to worry about money. It's all God's at the end of the day, and it's incredibly freeing that way. And it's fun when you start seeing light bulbs come off for some people. I imagine you at some point have been threatened by Jesus, an interruption that God has maybe brought into your life, that God has pointed something out in your life that needs to change. He brings out the little chisel. And you're like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not really interested in the hammer and chisel. Just leave me alone. Thank you very much. And, and, and so we're threatened when Jesus wants to interrupt our life. And, and there are really three things you can do when you get interrupted by Jesus. Uh, the first thing you can do is, is you can lock the door. So when Jesus comes and starts pointing out things, you know what that feels like when you just sense something's not right and you need to work on something in your life? And you sort of ignore it. You sort of slam the door on that. And it's sort of like saying, God, no, you're not, you're not welcome here. Not in that area of my life. God, thank you for your unconditional love for me. I appreciate that. But don't tell me what to do with my money. And we lock the door. God, thank you for forgiveness. I appreciate you dying on the cross for me. But don't tell me what to do with my sexuality. And we lock that door off. God, I appreciate that you have prepared a place for me and heaven awaits me. I appreciate everything you've done for me, but don't tell me what to do when I'm at work. And we lock that door off. So 
like that one you know, door at the condo that's locked and you don't have a key for it, you wonder what they're hiding in that door. <laughs> you know, we play this game with God all of the time and we constantly are putting up more locks and more locks and so our door looks like that. God, you're not welcome in this area of my life, lock it off. And I, I find it comical because if you really understand who God is, do you think he's intimidated by locks? Do you not think that God could just kick down that door? Do you not think that God could just barge his way through there or miraculously just have all the locks fall down and just walk right through the door? Do you not think that somehow locking God out is actually gonna keep God out of areas? But here's what I love about God. What does God do? God doesn't kick down doors. God doesn't barge through doors. God doesn't burn down doors. You know what God does with doors? God knocks on doors. I love this in Revelation as Jesus said, you write these things down to the churches. I want churches to know this. And here he says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. What do you mean? You're knocking, you're knocking at doors that you have shut. God's knocking at those. Let me in. You think this is freedom for you, but it's not leading you to freedom. I want to set you free. And he's knocking and he's knocking. And so we'll pretend he's not there. Shh. We hide behind the door. Don't turn on any lights. Don't let them know we're here. Or we throw up another lock. God, you're not welcome in this area of my life. But God stares at the door. And look what he does. And if anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus doesn't come in. Let me tell you everything you're doing wrong with your life. He says, no, let me just come down and eat with you. Let me converse with you. Let me explain to you what freedom looks like. Let me share with you what I see in your life so that I can help you see things the way I see things to set you free. This is how loving God is towards you that he'll stare at that door and he'll knock and he'll knock and he'll knock. That's one thing you can do when you're threatened by an interruption is just shut the door and, and try to lock the door. The other thing you can do is make excuses. God, it's, this is not really a good time for me right now. I'm really busy at work. I don't really have the time to uh, deal with you right now. Or there's a lot of things I want to pursue right now, God, in my life. So when I get a little bit older, um, then, I'll, then I'll come back to you. I don't really have time for the church thing. It just doesn't seem right for me right now. I'm not, I got other things I really want to accomplish. So I, I'm not interested. We're very, very good at making excuses. All the reasons why we don't have time um, for God's interruption in our life. I don't have time to be sick. I don't have time to deal with this right now. Reminds me in the Bible, there was a rich man who had a bumper crop and I, I don't even know what to do. What do I do with all? I'm gonna tear down my barns and I'm gonna build bigger ones. And that way I can just sort of take life easy and just relax and coast through the rest of my life. And here's what Jesus said to that person. You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He was doing what every one of us has a natural propensity to do, which is to follow our own way and do our own thing and make it everything about me. And I'm sure God was knocking on his door as well. And this is not freedom. What you're doing is not following me. I want to interrupt your life because I don't want you to lose your life. So you can shut the door and lock the door. You can make excuses if you want to. But I think the best alternative is the third one. 
And this is usually the last one that we do is to confess. Because when God comes and knocks at a door and points out an area of our life that we need to work on, the natural tendency is, hey, God, I'm, I'm better than most people. I mean, most people would look at my life and say, well, they've got it all together. They're, they're truly a good follower of Jesus, but none of us are. And the, the thing we need to learn to do is to stop and confess, God, there are still areas that need work. There's areas that I've locked you away from in my life. I am not done yet. You still need to chisel away at some things in my life. And this is how much God loves you. He's patient with you. He knocks at the door with you. He interrupts your life. And so often we can be threatened by that interruption or or we can pause and go, thank you, God, that you love me enough to not let me just drift in my own direction, to not let me follow the desires of my own heart, but you love me enough to call me back to yourself. See, I'm absolutely convinced of this, that God will speak to you in a language that you will understand. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or go to seminary. You don't have to speak Hebrew and Greek. God will speak to you in a language that we can understand. God chose to use a star to get the attention of magi. These weren't worshipers of God. They just worshiped the stars. And God says, I wonder how I can get their attention. I know, how about a star? That will get their attention. A number of years ago, I, I had an opportunity to meet this man. So he said, Pastor, you gotta meet this guy. He's got a phenomenal testimony how God transformed his life. I love hearing stories like that. So I said, give me his contact information. I called him up. I said, hey, so-and-so gave me your name and said, you got a great story. I'd love to hear it. And he's like, oh, I'd love to tell it. I said, well, let's get together. Can I take you to lunch? And we met a day for lunch and sitting there and he began to describe, he told me a little bit about his life. He was a carpenter and he made custom cabinets for these custom homes in Houston and, and did really, really well for himself. He said, I, just, I got really good at it, not to brag about it, but I was really good and everybody wanted me so I could charge really whatever I wanted. I was making a ton of money, buying everything I wanted to buy and my family was falling apart because I was working all the time. And, and it just, there was something in me that just kept gnawing at me that something wasn't quite right. And he said, so then I'm, I'm working at this house and I've got all these boards lined up and all of a sudden I take off this one board and the board behind it, I saw the face of Jesus in that board. And he said, I instantly just dropped to my knees and started bawling. And I, I just sort of cried out, God, can you really love me after all I've done? And he said, all I could hear was God saying, yes, I love you. I've got a better life for you. Just follow me, follow me, follow. And he tells me this story. I'm like, man, that's incredible. And I'm, I'm thinking what probably a lot of you are thinking at this point. Can, do you still have the piece of wood? <laughs> you know, can, I, can I see the piece of wood? He's like, yeah, it's in my truck. Come on. So we finish up lunch. We go out to his truck. He pulls out this piece of wood. And evidently by the look on my face, he's like, you don't see it, do you? <laughs> I'm like, no. And I'm like, you're trying to squint, you know, you do all those kind of things to try to see. I'm like, I can see. It's very unique. Like, the pattern is not a normal wood pattern. And, and this is new and unique. But I, tell you, I just don't see the face of God. But I tell you what I do love is what did God use to get a carpenter's attention but a piece of wood? I could have seen that piece of wood, and I just would have went on to write to the next one. But God put that right in your path to communicate clearly to you that God loves you and he's got a better plan for your life. I love how God interrupted him. And God will interrupt you too. And you can be threatened by that interruption like King Herod, like Jerusalem, or or you can embrace 
that a little bit. So when you're threatened by an interruption, let me just encourage you in closing to do these four things. Pause. Before you're threatened by an interruption and decide I'm gonna lock the door, I'm gonna ignore it, I'm gonna make excuses, just pause for a moment. Just let that be the first reaction when, you're, when you feel God tugging at your heart. I'm just gonna pause for a moment. And then God, I wanna ask you, what is it that you want me to learn in this moment? What is it, God, that you're knocking on? What area of my life needs to be worked on in this moment? And then believe. Believe that God has the best for you. And God has plans for you. He knows what freedom is, and he wants you to be set free. And so just believe that God has your best interest in mind, that God is not pointing things out to shame you. God is pointing things out to save your life. And then walk in obedience. God, I believe you. And, and I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. And we have God who loves to interrupt lives. And maybe this morning I'm praying that God is tugging on your heart and he's knocking on your door and saying, please, let me show you what freedom looks like. Let me show you what following me truly looks like because it's a better life following Jesus than not following Jesus.